RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. Mike, how are you? Good, Dusty. How are you? I can't complain. We're here to record another RPG Lessons Learned. This is the first time we've ever recorded on the day that we're releasing. Is it? I think so. This is we, we, We've let our backlog get eaten by beach trips and day trips, and we've, we've had a lot of commitments lately. So for the first time ever, we're recording on the day we release. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, today, we're going to change it up a little bit. And I think this is the first time we're talking about a, a non-D20 system. We'll be talking about Chaosium's BRP, Basic Roleplay System, which is a, a, a D100 system, a percentile-based system. And the game we played, Escape from Earthport, which you guys probably remember better as Low Rent Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Escape from Earthport, um, it's actually in the Basic Roleplaying Quick Start Edition. Which is available for free on Chaosium's website, and uh, I got it for ten bucks on Amazon, the, the the booklet. And I don't regret the purchase at all. I, I do like the system, and the system has several—I mean, like three or four or five—scenarios in the back. And one of them is Escape from Earthport, which is a very thinly veiled Star Wars reference. So we played our our first ever sci-fi game in the BRP system set in the Star Wars universe. Did this game feel like Star Wars to you guys? Sort of like a parody of Star Wars. It, it it felt like the the animated Star Wars pieces from the Star Wars Holiday Special, where it was that weird animation style that looks like Star Wars and feels like Star Wars, but not quite Star Wars. It's kind of like I don't want to I don't want to get too risque, but kind of like an adult film parody of Star Wars minus the the adult nature, minus the yeah, the, my, minus some of the content. Yes, um, I can see that, and part of the way the adventure is written, kind of, kind of engenders that because um it's written to to not be star wars i mean escape from Earthport. uh this is very much the scenario in the book is very much uh the escape from the death star and a new hope when the millennium falcons on the death star and you need to escape the do- or the, the characters need to escape the docking bay that is the situation in the book you've got to take out the security shield you've got to take over the tractor beam and, and kill the tractor beam and do a few other things to be able to get off the ship. I didn't run that scenario, and we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, what we did is we used the the pre-generated players and the pre-generated stormtroopers. And the, and the players, what added to that Star Wars but not Star Wars, or that kind of uh, Star Wars parody feel, were the characters, the character names. Um, basically, there was a Han Solo analog called Trigger Gimbal, and the, such a terrible name. such a terrible name but uh, chris played han solo uh and then the chewbacca was jambo uh, and nathan played jambo and then there was the selene the plucky princess so princess selene or you know obviously princess leia and uh brian you played princess i, I was so plucky <laughs> and then uh kaiden the trainee intergalactic knight which is a very clear stand-in for luke and, and mike that was you is there some sort of system there that have the uh, author arrived at the name? Or I looked for one, but no, no, there, there's not. I mean, it if it weren't for the so Jack Trimber, Trigger Gimble actually says cheeky spacer, and then Jambowek actually says hairy alien mercenary, and then Selene, plucky princess, and Kaiden, trainee intergalactic. If it wasn't for cheeky spacer, hairy alien mercenary, 
Plucky Princess and Trainee Intergalactic Knight, I would have still picked up on it, but pr- probably not as instantly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's those, it was those taglines after each character name that made it clear that it was Star Wars. But we played, uh, we, even though we all knew this was Star Wars, and even though we all knew we were playing as Han, Chewie, Leia, and Luke, we actually used the, these fake names, right? Yeah, for the most part. For the, think, for the first part of the session. Yeah, until we got a little later in the game, and then I think we just said, eh. We said to forget it. It's Star Wars, Luke, and, Han, Leia. And it only, like like I said, it, was, it felt like a parody of Star Wars, so it's not like I immediately felt like I was cast into the, the world of, you know, with the Empire and the Rebellion and all that. It's like, oh, it's a low-rent Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. But And, and th- we were very clear going into this that this is a one-shot. So, listening to this episode, you're going to get some one-shot advice. Uh, this was not my first one-shot, but it was a one-shot that I think went pretty well, right, guys? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends what you mean pretty well. <laughs> we had fun. We had we absolutely had fun. That's yes. always the goal. Exactly. Yeah, we had fun. Uh, we, we absolutely had some missteps that we'll talk about. We did. All or, right, let's, or Chris did. Well, I, I did, too. <laughs> But let's talk about, so before the session, I had zero time to prep for this. I knew I was running for the first time in a long time an adventure out of a book. Uh, I knew BRP, I, I had read the, I had read up on the system quite a lot to be ready to GM this brand new system and to walk you guys through this brand new system. Uh, but I had done zero prep as far as table materials. I had no props. I had nothing. I didn't even have your character sheets printed out. So as I recall, I showed up to the room with a bunch of index cards and I handed them out. And I read aloud to you guys your character names, your your attributes, and your skills, and had you jot those down. And the skills in BRP are percentile-based. So, uh, for example, Trigger Gimbal, a.k.a. Han Solo, has a blaster rifle that he has a 67% chance of hitting with. So you roll 2d10, one for the 10s and one for the 1s, and you're trying. it's a roll-low system. You have a 67% chance of hitting, so if you get anywhere from a, from a 1 to a 67, you hit. Uh, and, and that's the way the game works. I had you guys write down all those skills, you know, your, your blaster rifle, your, your piloting, your dodging, your, your knowledge, your fast talk. Um, everyone wrote down their unique skills. And it was kind of fun because uh, the characters were quite different. Um, the, 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 both Jamba Weck and Trigger had some piloting. Uh, the princess had some first aid and some command and some persuade that no one else had. And then Kaiden obviously had the force blade, you know, the lightsaber, and some, some associated skills there. Like, he could parry the, the bolts. So the characters felt really different. Um, but with – and this is what I like about – this is what I really like about BRP. Really internally consistent mechanics. Even though everyone has different skills, it's the same thing. You have a percentile that you're trying to roll under – on a set of percentile dice. So easy to grasp, easy to grok onto, and the character sheets easily, easily fit on an index card, which is why I felt good having you guys write it out. Um, but no prep for, for this game, for a group, you know, amongst friends, I would never do this at a con. But amongst friends, I think the no prep was okay. And I think that jotting down the character sheets on an index card worked just fine. Yeah, I think it was fine. I think this was actually probably one of the easiest systems to to set up for and get prepped for from scratch than we've ever it, played. I think it for on for Dusty's end it makes perfect sense. For me, I still didn't have a gr- easy time grasping the the, the roll low thing. Um, anytime we have to do a percentage roll, 
It's just my brain doesn't work in, in percentages. Yeah, you want to roll high. I, I want to roll high, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, well, I guess we could have inverted the math. Hey, roll over a 33 and you hit, but... Mm. But I think for, for not having pre-gen characters, for you not coming in and handing out a character sheet that says, hey, here's your character, here's your abilities, this was the easiest, fastest new character gen setup of any system that we've played to date. And so let's talk about the setting. So it being Star Wars, I remember leading off with, all right, guys, this is basically Star Wars, and it's right after A New Hope. It's before Empire Strikes Back. So... It was the same timeline as Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But to make it clear that, hey, this is parallel universe, like, like these characters can die. I'm not going to let your character live just because he's Luke Skywalker or just because he's Han Solo. We reference Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is this Alan Dean Foster book written after A New Hope before Empire Strikes Back that has a completely different plot line. I mean, it, it's a sequel to A New Hope written before um, Empire Strikes Back came out. So okay, so it was placed it, it, it chronologically in time in the real world. It was it came out in like seventy eight or something. Yeah, something like that. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, if you've never read it, it's it's really interesting. But anyway, um, I referenced that book to make it clear that hey, we are way off in a completely different universe, and these characters can die. There are real consequences to this one shot. So that felt reasonable. But it being Star Wars, it was a known universe. And we all know Star Wars. We all knew Star Wars. Um, and we really were able to set context and, and get moving pretty quickly. Um, we felt comfortable, I think, that we can go off script. And we felt comfortable that there were real consequences. What do you guys think about that? Any, any thoughts there? I like the idea that our character can die. I mean, I haven't... I, I'm Like I said in a previous game, that the game that we have going on right now, I'm, I'm starting to feel that... I have some investment in the character, but it's been a long time where I really felt like I had such an investment that I would physically, physically is probably a strong way of putting it, but I would have like real remorse and a feeling of loss if my character were to die. And so I kind of like the idea that my character can die. I think it makes life much more sweet by knowing that it ends. So I, you know, I I actually, I kind of, I really like that. And I like that we didn't spend any time on world building at all. Yep. Hey, you're on Tatooine in a back alley after A New Hope before Empire Strikes Back. Got it. Like, hopefully my finger snap came across the recording there. But, uh, I mean, that just clicks. You get it. You know where you are. You know what you've got to do. You just get it. So let's talk about that. So so starting off in the alley, we accidentally started this game. This is before Rogue One. This is way before Rogue One. We accidentally started this game just like the opening scene to Rogue One. Well, not the opening scene, the, the, the second opening scene. Where the the I forget his name the spy character the the, the French guy I forget his name too Chris, the, Chris would be here screaming at us because that's his favorite Star Wars movie yeah know? oh well um but anyway the the scene where that spy guy is in an alley getting the information and the stormtroopers show up that's exactly how we started this adventure hey you've just got a piece of critical information oh you're talking about episode seven yeah that's episode seven that you're talking about um oh no he's he's talking about Rogue I'm talking about Rogue One yeah. yeah. So episode seven it begins basically the same way, getting a critical piece. They all begin basically getting a critical piece of information. Right. They, and, and then the stormtroopers show up. They all have the magical MacGuffin. But this was yeah. actually in an alley, just like that was in an alley, uh, yeah, kind was, of a desert planet. Yeah, okay. So when, when I watched Rogue One, I was like, whoa, <laughs> we, we did that. Um, but it was it was you four main characters in an alley. And, and, and what I like about that, this, this is a one shot. We've got a clear setting right away. 
hey, we're playing Star Wars. Okay, we've, we're starting after the role play. Like the scene with the role play and you getting the information from the NPC, I just skip that. Because how many games have we have, have I run where I've made the mistake of trying to start the game off with role play? Like, hey, you all meet in the tavern. What do you say to each other? Yeah. Awkward long pause. Hey, this NPC has some information. How are you going to get it out of them? Awkward long pause. And so, then we spend 45 minutes trying to, to light things on fire. We, we, we skipped the awkward long pause. We skipped the role play, and we jumped right into starting the game after you get the information, and you know Stormtroopers are closing in. So it let you jump right into the mechanics on your character sheet and actually taking some actions, and it gave you guys a few moments to inhabit the character before you had to role play the character with dialogue. Um, I think that worked really well. I would agree with that, especially uh, coming into a new system, not being familiar with not even how the mechanics work, but then, you know, how the idea of my skills and abilities and, 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 and uh, the, the things I have in my arsenal to use to build that character, getting a, getting a chance to play with that first before building that character worked really well. And frankly, succeeding or failing on roles, because how goofily you play the part, if you're failing a lot, you might go a little goofier route. Than kind of you know grim dark serious, but if you're succeeding a lot, you might go grim dark serious. Yeah, we failed a lot. I remember failing a lot. Oh, we did fail yeah, a lot. A lot. I mean, Han Solo only has a two thirds chance to hit with his blaster rifle. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe the D twenty math is the same, but the D twenty kind of obfuscates it. I mean, you know academically that it's five percent per per D twenty increment, but no one ever stops to say, "Hey, wait a minute! I've only got a sixty six percent chance of hitting." So at D20, I, f- I feel like it, it kind of enables you to try and over and over again. Whereas BRP, I guess that just being raw percentages, you you exactly know your chance of hitting or succeeding or failing. And it can kind of be a little bit of a drag to say, man, I've got a 33% chance of failing every single time I roll, even with this thing that I'm really good with, much less the things that I've got a 40% chance of. I think... Uh I think for me, when we were playing the system, understanding those percentages and knowing I didn't have uh, very good chances of succeeding at certain things kept me from doing stupid, foolhardy moves. It's like, well, I I could try and go and attack all these stormtroopers with my force sword or whatever they were calling it, but I maybe only have a a 50% chance of hitting each of them. That's true, and that's a perfect transition to our first gun battle. So you guys came across a patrol of stormtroopers or as this scenario called them, Dark Legion Troopers. Uh, you came across a patrol, and you had your first shootout. And you did wind up killing all of the Dark Legion Troopers, but the first time they rolled damage on you guys, and they were rolling, let's see here, 2d8 plus 3 for their blaster rifles, and you guys realized that, whoa, wait, we have like 12 to 11 hit points apiece. That was a, that was a whoa, oh crap moment for how lethal the system is. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the other thing we we found of that combat is getting hit is unlikely, but if you get hit, look out. Yeah, if you get hit, it hurts. Now everyone was wearing armor, and the armor was was damage reduction armor. So you, what happens is in BRP, the enemy rolls an attack. If they succeed, you get to roll dodge. If you succeed, the attack doesn't work. If you fail, you get hit, and the enemy rolls damage. And then the damage is reduced by your armor. So if they roll 2d8 and they get 2d8 plus 3, and they get max damage, they get 21 damage, but you have 6 armor, then you're only taking 15 damage. 
which when you only have 11 hit points is a problem yep. so, so yeah. even even with the damage reducing armor we really had an oh crap moment this is a really lethal system so in brp the levers that i have to pull as as the game master are making rolls either easy or hard and, and a hard roll cuts your percentage of success in half and an easy roll doubles your percentage of success. And that, as GM, was really all I was doing. The base chance of succeeding or failing is based on your character's skills on your character sheet. You're better at shooting your blaster rifle. You have a 67% chance of hitting whatever you aim at in combat. If you're not in combat and you're lining up your shot and you're leaning against a wall and you take your time and you breathe easy, hey, you just turn that into an easy shot. And when that 60 goes to 120, guess what? It's impossible to fail that roll. So you're going to succeed. Uh, the 40 could go to an 80 on an easy roll because, hey, you, you if it's persuasion, you only have a 40% chance to persuade, but you stop and you do your research, you do whatever. So even with these low stats, with the easy and the hard levers to pull, we could set up dramatic situations and we could set up successes with the right amount of narrative um, kind of maneuvering by the players. So I, I I felt like I had plenty of good levers to pull, even despite the the, the constant missing. But the, but that that first gun battle, we didn't do any of that. You guys didn't try to flank the enemies. We didn't line up any shots. It was just a lot of chaos and a lot of missing. And I'll be honest, that felt like Star Wars to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lots of firing and missing and and mistakes and dialogue. It did. So it's one of those things where you have to sort of abstract it because in a you know a round of gameplay we can usually say is what six seconds yeah and for d20 i don't know about brp maybe 10 but you know, of course you have to that that time is uh, expanded you have to compress it a little bit and it's like taking what we do and playing it back and fast forward it obviously i mean it would you do that and it would probably be pretty close to star wars yeah this felt more simulationist yeah than d20 for for that reason like the misses felt like you're not hitting with every crossbow bolt like you do in D and D. Yeah, you're you're firing and missing and laying down cover fire. And I remember reading some crazy st- statistic that in one of the one of the wars where we actually tracked ammunition and hits and all that, something like a, a massive like ninety percent of the shots that were fired were, were known that they were going to miss at the time they were fired because it's like it's like covering fire yeah. and suppressive fire and things like that. so. It, it it felt like Star Wars. And it, it felt reasonable in the moment once we got over the disappointment, I guess, that, oh, man, this, this shot only has a 66% chance of, of success. Anyway, all right, moving on from that. So improvisation. Um, we let you guys improvise. So, so you killed those first batch of stormtroopers. There were four or five or six of them. Surprise, surprise, what felt like Star Wars, you guys took their uniforms. So now the four of you were walking around in stormtrooper <laughs> outfits, which, yes. which again felt very Star Wars. It felt like a like a perfect follow on to a new hope. Hey, this worked before. Worked on the Death Star. Did 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 we address the uh, the, the the Chewbacca analogy in Stormtrooper? Oh yeah, he, he had like tufts he, of fur he was, sticking he, out, just like a New Hope. He was he was a prisoner. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, you you guys had binders on him. So you were, you were playing up the fact that he was a prisoner, don't you th- just like a new hope. Don't you think they, the stormtroopers there would be like, didn't we see this? Just no, because like- all those stormtroopers got blown up. Good point. Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. And, and no one had a chance to rewrite their operating manuals because <laughs> <laughs> everyone who knows about that trick is dead. That's a very, very good point. All right, so what happens next? You guys are in stormtrooper outfits, and now you can use your social skills. So you had you, you all had social skills. Han had fast talk. 
Leia had command and persuade and uh for the first time you guys get a chance to use those and and this is where we got some really good role play so by skipping the role play at first and getting into the mechanics and getting a feel for the characters and inhabiting the characters and living with the characters for you know 10 20 30 minutes through a combat through a few interactions now you guys were freed up to have a lot of fun with the social mechanics and use the stormtrooper armor to talk your way past some stormtroopers into the docking bay you remember that mike um vaguely yeah so the 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 the, the I, role play felt very natural i remember the consequences more than i do the role play yeah so what mike's remember what mike remembers and what we all remembered is that chris and gosh we make fun of chris a lot but we sure do love chris well yeah we absolutely do <laughs> <laughs> um chris was playing han and none of us know why he did it the goal was to get to the millennium falcon which we call the centennial eagle yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not in the adventure and in, in the quick start guide. We we we, but we love the fake Star Wars name so much that we renamed the Falcon. But um, to get to the Centennial Eagle was the goal, and Chris instead, for some reason, I guess he wanted better weapons. I can't remember the, the justification. He talked his way onto the Empire's troop transport ship. He literally talked his way onto a giant ship filled with stormtroopers. And he was the only one that went, by the way. Everyone else was like, nope. Yeah, no, we, we, we expressly, since since we just got out of this combat where it was super dangerous and super deadly, I, I remember saying to Chris multiple times, in character, you are going to die. You are going to die. I am not going with you because you are going to die. As the GM, I was like, Chris, are you sure you want to do this? this and he's like, yep, yep, I'm going to get on that ship and I'm going to get some weapons. I'm like, all right, man. So uh, at that point, Whenever you set up a situation as GM, and you recognize this a lot, whenever you set up a situation where you need to succeed in like three rolls in a row, mm, nope, not going to happen. The odds, I don't, I need to calculate this out. But even with a decent chance of success, if you start requiring three, four, five rolls in a row, like uh, Chris has been situations in the past where he's the rogue, and he's like, I'm going to sneak past the enemies, and I'm going to flank them, and I'm going to start ninjaing them from behind, taking them out one at a time. Okay, that's a lot of rolls, man. That's a that's a that's a hide roll. That's a move and get behind them while you're still hidden roll. That's a sneak attack roll, and you got you better kill them on a, on your first hit. It's a, it's a lot of successful rolls, and even if you make it, odds are you're gonna fail at the worst possible time when you're surrounded by enemies. Well, guess what happened here? He bluffed his way into the ship. He bluffed his way. Actually, he bluffed his way into the docking bay. He bluffed his way onto the ship. He made it to the armory. So, yeah, he was going for weapons because yep. he specifically made it to the armory. And in dealing with the armory, um, what do you call the guy who runs the armory? Quartermaster. Yeah, thank you. In dealing with the quartermaster, it all fell apart. <laughs> he failed his rolls. I think he critical failed a roll, which in BRP is like you know, 20% of your overall chance of success. If you roll within that, it's a critical success. But if you roll like a 100 that's a critical fail. You've, you've like, it's a roll low system. So if you roll a 100, that, that's, that's crit fail or a 90 to hundred, something like that. So whatever, Chris rolled really, really high and he failed with the uh, quartermaster and the quartermaster picked up on what was going on. And to Chris's, to Chris's credit, we make fun of Chris a lot, but he played it to the hilt. He very much played it like that scene in a new hope where Hansel is like, oh, everything's fine here. Everything's fine. Yep. How are you? <laughs> I love, he did a great job playing Han and playing Han bumbling into a situation. And it was that exact situation 
in, in the in the brig area of the Death Star, only minus any kind of backup whatsoever, because nobody went onto that troop transport with him. He was all alone, facing wave after wave of stormtroopers, and also to his credit, it took them a while to kill him. It did. It was a kind of a long drawn out thing. So uh, not not too long. It, it, they they whatever he died. So here was my oh crap moment as a GM. It's a one shot. I'd put a lot of thought into, hey, we're using this known setting. Hey, you have a clear goal. Get off the planet. Hey, um, we're skipping that first role play to get you right. And it was all going beautifully. And it felt like start. And the only thing we really changed up in the middle of the session was we stopped using the fake names and we just went with it that it's Star Wars and started using the Star Wars names. Um, and that was the only thing that we changed up that, that I would do differently. Like the next time I would just go ahead and put it in the universe. But here was my old crap moment as GM. Chris died. And I, that death was permanent. I was not going to undo that death. But I didn't want to punish the player. I didn't want to say, well, Chris, you, you screwed up. So, sorry, you get to watch the rest of the game while everyone else plays their characters. No, I needed to. I, the character died, not the player. So I needed to have a backup. Thank goodness. Thank goodness that it was Han that died. Because I had this huge brainwave where I was like, Lando. Lando would have damn near the exact same stats as Han. I mean, damn near the exact same stats. So I was like, okay, Lando has been on the Millennium Falcon this whole time. You know, perhaps hiding in the smuggling compartment, whatever. And Chris, you're now Lando on the Millennium Falcon. You're on board. You just witnessed this. You, 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 your guys are coming aboard. They're telling you that Han's missing. He's on the troop transport. What do you do? But, but being able to step in and let Chris be Lando now, that way I wasn't punishing the player, even though Han Solo was now dead. That it felt clever in the moment. Uh, later, you guys mentioned that perhaps you thought it was a bit uh, easy on Chris. So, what, what do you think about that, Mike? I think in retrospect, it was definitely the right decision to make because we still had a significant portion of the game left. And it would have, as you said, Chris would have had nothing to do but sit there and watch us, which I think would have turned into, hey, guys, it was fun. We'll see you next time. And then we would have had to down the rest of the game without Chris. Yeah. And I said this before. I said it when we had Tanner on. Anything that kills the momentum for your players to feel like they want to show up and play is bad for the game. So I, I, this will sound like a joke, but I, I mean it when I ask the question. So if yeah. you guys remember uh, we watched Dark Dungeons. Yeah, of course. And in their um, the way they presented play, like when a character would die, the player would get up and walk away from the table. Yeah, I've never actually considered. Maybe people actually do that. Is, I, is it conceivable? I think there are lots of groups who play it that way. So I have a video game analog for that. The only video game I've, I've ever been really, really good at, and I mean good at to where I played on, on online back in the days of the MSN gaming zone, was Rainbow Six Rogue Spear. And there were a lot of other games at the time, uh, Quake, um, Team Fortress, where when you died, you, you respawned pretty quickly. And Rainbow Six Rogue Spear, once you were dead, that was it. You were a spectator in that match. Uh, and the match could go on. I mean, if two guys were hunting each other on a big map, you could have 20, 30, 40 minutes of gameplay that you're not party to. And I kind of appreciated how hardcore that was. I really enjoyed how hardcore that was. So, as with so much of our advice, for some groups out there, 
going hardcore, Brian, and saying, you're dead. You don't get to find out what happens next. You need to go in the other room. Or, hey, we'll see you next time. Maybe some groups are at a place where they appreciate how hardcore that is, the same way I appreciated it in Rainbow Six Rogue's Beer. But I don't think that's where we are. No. We're casual. We play every two weeks. um, And we want it to be fun. And we want everyone to, to have enough fun that they want to come back next time. Yep. I think a lot of our group also is, you know, this This is the time we get to socialize together. We we don't get to hang out with each other as much as we used to, you know, pre-children, pre-marriage and all that. So I think... Hey, we, we don't have kids, Mike. Well... I, I only see you, like, when we record the show now. I know. The, the, uh, I'm just a terrible friend. Now that Chris and I have children, now that... Now Jason. That, now that we're all married, now that Jason has, has children, now that um, Mike has pets... He has his, his fur babies. Fur, oh my God. Uh, no, but I, I think a lot of our group is still a social aspect and not just a focusing on hardcore gaming apps. Aspect. Well, let's change it. I want to do that. You want to go hardcore? Hardcore. We should, you know, for a couple of sessions, I'd be fine with that. I, I, I don't think I would like that. I'll do anything for a couple of sessions. And I think that's, that's what makes our games fun is that we do have a lot of variety. But yeah, Brian, you're, you're, you're not wrong, man. Uh, for some people, the hardcore, hey, you're dead, step away from the table, might be what their group appreciates. And and like I said, at a time in my life, that's where I was. But it's not where I am now, and it's it's okay to recognize what your group's into. So, yeah, I mean, was I going easy on Chris, the person? Sure. But I'm going to go easy on the player because I want the player to come back. But anyway, the lesson learned for me here was even when you're when you're running a one-shot, you need to plan for what happens if a character dies because you don't want to punish that player. So for me, it was a big aha moment. This is before I'd gone to a con. This is before I'd ever run a game at a con. And now that I've done that, I recognize that at a con, it would be really crap. I mean, people have basically paid money, paid money to be, to be at your table. Now, they didn't pay money for your game. They paid money as an entrance fee to the entire con. But still... Money changed hands so that they could have the opportunity to sit at whatever number of tables they choose to sit at. And if they choose to sit at your table and, you know, an hour and a half into a three-hour game, you're like, sorry, you're dead. That's really crappy, I think. So the lesson learned for me is for a one-shot, have a backup plan. And if it had been Luke who died or Leia or Chewbacca, man, I don't know who I would have had step in. R2 is waiting for you on the Millennium Falcon. Congratulations. <laughs> but, but we would have had to stop the game and roll up different characters because the stats wouldn't work. It'd be so different, yeah. It yeah. would be it would be way too different. Um so, so thank goodness through sheer luck it was Han where I could be like, all right, Lando. Lando would have the same stats. Yep. I mean he'd be clearly a better gambler, but other than that, he would have the same stats. Um anyway, uh be have a backup plan for for your one shot games. If you don't want to punish your players, and if you do want to punish your players because you're hardcore, then great, do that. As long as everyone knows that's, that's what they're getting into. But if you don't, have a backup plan. Have some other characters rolled. Um, wh- whatever the backup plan happens to be. And and for me, for Han, it was Lando. So Chris was Lando. You guys got aboard the Centennial Eagle slash Millennium Falcon. Uh, and as I recall, you guys made some fantastic. Starship piloting roles, and uh, I, I remember, I remember my solution because you didn't necessarily have turrets or gunnery. So I said, okay, in the moment, real quick, as a GM ruling, let's take your starship piloting ability and average it 
with your ability to just shoot hand rifles. And we'll say that's your ability to shoot turrets. So we did that real quick on the fly. And for those manning the turrets, and as I recall, you guys got some pretty fantastic turret rolls. You disabled the enemy transport, you took out a ton of stormtroopers, and you were on your way. And you being on your way was you recognizing, hey, Han's dead. He's he's dead and gone. How did you guys feel at the table about, I mean, did you feel anything? Was it kind of, how did you feel about Han being dead in in this new Star Wars universe that we created? It's hard. So uh, I guess my thought is this. Like, living in the real world, we've lived through Empire and Jedi and everything, and Han was much more important to the cause, uh, knowing what Han meant to that universe. I guess the potential that was lost because Han was no longer alive in this universe was the thing that bothered me, I guess. But but if you look just at uh, A New Hope, I mean, he helped smuggle the guys onto the Death Star. He helped get them to... Um, he, he got through the Death Star, then he helped, he showed up at the end and helped, uh, Luke, uh, blow up the, the Death Star. Not, he was not as important to the story as Luke was. He wasn't, wasn't as important to the story as Leia was. He was, he was second tier in my mind in the first movie. Yeah. The first movie. Yeah. But then Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford and, and doing, I mean, knocking that role out of the park. Yeah. You're right. He was so important later on. So who knows? Maybe if Lando would have actually been there. It would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been awesome. So let's let's finish up here, right? So this was a this was a one shot. Uh, I'll go back and, and restate what I've said before. So when you're running a one shot, here's what I learned and applied, and it worked well. Have a clear setting. Have a really clear goal. Skip the role play at first. I'm not saying skip the role play entirely, but skip it at first. Skip that first scene. Don't start off with asking your characters to immediately asking your players to immediately have these lengthy dialogues. You know, skip that, get into some action, and then and then, and then ease into the role play. And then plan for character deaths. I didn't, thank goodness, I had a I had a, a backup thought that occurred to me spur of the moment. But uh but plan for character deaths at, at your one-shot table. And then thoughts on on basic role playing the, the Chaosium system. This worked really great for the session. Once we got over the 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 Knowing the, the the naked percentages for odds of success, once we got over how revealing that felt and how demotivating it could feel, once we got over that, and once we mastered the whole easy hard thing, I, I think the BRP system worked really well in this game. I would agree with that. I uh, I think it was a simple system to uh, to to manage and a simple system to play to. I would say probably uh, one of the things that was a little more difficult was just the understanding of you don't really have any skills. The few skills you have are primary. And since these were new characters in the BRP system, it was going to be a long road to build that character to where they had significant skills, like in fifth edition or the other systems where, where you had a set of skills you could rely on consistently to get you out of trouble. Yep. So let's talk about advancement in BRP for a minute, just for those at home who've never played it. If you were playing a campaign in BRP, here's how that would work. When you succeed on a roll, so let's say, you know, Han with his blaster. It, when Han succeeds on a blaster roll in a session, by the book, at the end of that session, Han is allowed to roll. And if Han, so, so basically you're saying, okay, Han, let's see if you learned anything about blasters. Let's see if you get better at blasters. And if you have a 67, you actually have to roll over that to be able to level up that skill by one percentage point. So if you roll your dice and you get like an 81, 
Okay, Han, you now have a 68% blaster skill. So you would have to have dozens of sessions. And when you multiply that by, by your chance of failure, because it gets harder and harder to roll over your stat as, you, as your stat climbs, it, you're right. It's really hard for your skills to grow in a campaign. I kind of like that. So if you think about BRP as a system where you want to be really heroic at, at early levels, no, probably not. But if you want to tell very simulationist stories with a pretty flat power curve and where realistically your players, your, sorry, your characters do get better at stuff as they do it, as they succeed at it, they get better at it. Um, but they're really, their base stats never change. They never get more hit points. They, they, they don't roll up and get more hit die. They, they, they don't, they don't level up and, and increase their strength by one or increase, you know, some base stats. Their base stats and their hit points, that's it. They're done. Those don't move. And that feels kind of realistic to me. Like, as I get better at stuff in real life, I don't get more hit points. I just get better at stuff. So depending on the kind of game that you're running, BRP can be a great system for that. And you're making a good point too, Mike. It really pays as a GM to have a lot of systems in your back pocket. And I've now that I've learned quite a few, now that I've grown beyond D20 and I've played Fate, I've played NGS, I've played BRP, I've played a lot of stuff, having those systems in your back pocket helps you have the right system for the right game with the right feel at the right time. That makes that makes perfect sense to me. I don't really have anything I can tack onto that, but I can understand how that makes it better for you to run. Yep. So hey, you know, also when run, when running a one shot, choose a system that fits. Choose a system that's going to work with, with with that style of play that you're going for. And hey, BRP for for this game, for this system, it worked great. All right, is that RPG lessons learned for this week all about one shots? I think it is. Yep. Hi, this is Dusty coming back for our first postscript here on RPG Lessons Learned. We've actually linked to the basic role-playing quick start edition on Amazon here in, in the show notes, so you can see the booklet that we're talking about. We're, we're going to have a few upcoming shows on scenarios from this booklet, uh, and it's a product that I've really enjoyed. It, it's like 10 bucks. It's a great product. I recommend it. No affiliation whatsoever with Chaosium, but we... we we're sitting here talking after recording the show and decided that linking to that booklet would, would make a lot of sense because it's a, it's a product that we've had a lot of fun with and it's very economical. RPG Lessons Learned, rpglessonslearned.com. All the, the subscribe links are there. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned and we're sharing ours with you.